Hello, welcome to We Don't Talk About the Weather. Political discussion from the outside may look like screaming and crying. I'm Adam, and this is you. I'm back. And we're here to talk news and politics. Better we than ever. We're back from our world tour. Boy, are my arms tired. <laughs> Went to all the places. My kitchen table to talk to someone. My kitchen table to talk to someone. <laughs> my kitchen table to talk to someone. But yeah, it was nice going on other people's shows. It was quite nice. Um, like first time, so first time we've really done that. Isn't it? Yeah, um, it was. Yeah, we had a bit of a break. It's kind of hard to edit in the busy, busy house that I'm in at the moment. It's less busy now because the kids back at uni, which is good. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah. Although now I've got to work out when to edit to fit in with my ridiculous weightlifting schedule. <laughs> I've drawn myself up. <laughs> you decided to rather than yeah, rather than kind of do the lockdown thing and be isolated and drive yourself insane with an eating disorder. During lockdown, <laughs> you decided to do it just as it's lifting yeah. to provide maximum frisson. Yep, um, I don't have any disorder. It's just um, I have very little control on every other aspect of my life, but I can control what goes into my body. So I will be focusing on that. Um, I have been, um, yeah, it's been nice lifting in my dirty basement though. It's been quite satisfying, um, if only because it gives me an assigned allotted hour or so where I do not listen to LBC. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't that help? Mm. Why, if I lift? Oh God! If you lift to LBC, can you imagine? <laughs> Just the idea of doing like really heavy squats <laughs> to James <laughs> O'Brien. I, oh. nickname, I nicknamed Nick Ferrari personal best. <laughs> Never deadlifted as much as when that man was going on. He was going on about um about the um, paratroopers today. Who's going to have oh yeah, I saw, I saw something about that because apparently, yeah, one of the trials has collapsed, hasn't it? Of yeah, soldiers from Northern Ireland. Yeah. And he was like, "It is disgusting. These politically motivated, persecuted our boys just because they like to commit rape, like hate crimes and war, war crimes and all the other crimes that they can fit into their squaddy belt." Um, it's fa- it's really fascinating. Like uh, we, we'll talk. I've been thinking a lot about kind of the 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 troubles and the IRA. Mm-hmm. Um, Northern Ireland, just because of of what's been what's been happening in the world and of our special topic this week, we will get onto later. Mm-hmm. But it's just like the number of people who think that the British Army beat the IRA mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the troubles, and it wasn't like a negotiated settlement. No, they beat them. They beat them. <laughs> they beat them all. They and the thing is, the British they just wanted to beat them at cribbage. They just wanted to beat them at cards. And like a and like a nice polite thing like that, but no, those dastardly IRA. They had to get shot. <laughs> Lots <laughs> politically motivated trials, unlike the politically motivated deployment of the army. <laughs> yeah, to like... stop. A... <laughs> yeah, it's like the worst thing you can be motivated by politics. I've always said this. Oh God, yeah. Oh, but yeah. So there's that only selection tomorrow. <laughs> Ah, you gonna vote? Oh yes. No, probably not. No, I uh, mentioned this on uh, the uh, the Praxis cast uh, that we did. Yeah. On the Mayor of London, check it out. It's up now. I haven't really paid much attention to it, and yeah, sure, I have a little nagging sensation that I should find somebody to vote for, even in the assembly races. Hmm. But at the same time, no, hmm. no, sorry, yeah. no. 
you come back to me when you have an offer for me. This mm. is transactional now, mm. all right? This isn't, this isn't ideology-based. There's nothing here for, for me or for mm. us. You mm. come back to me when you have something to give me, mm. when you have something to offer me. Mm. Until then, no. Screw you. The only reason I might go to vote, which is, I think, let me try to work it out. It's probably about 200, maybe 300 metres from my front door to go to vote. Right. And I genuinely mm. don't know if I can be asked. Um, I'll be walking past the polling booth with my dog tomorrow, but I still don't know if I can be asked. Um, the only reason I would would be to vote for Brian Rose and his anti-young YouTuber stance that he's taken. <laughs> so he went on a he went on a like a a teens a teen politics YouTube channel. In my head, it's like um, uh, it's like um, oh shit, was it news round? It's like a news round thing. So like the same kind of color ideas. And it's like, we're just talking to this politician, this man, this mayoral candidate, Brian Rose, and he turns up in his nunchucks and his suit, does a bit of breakdancing. And then they I, asked him I, about all I the money on... he's stolen. <laughs> and he, he turned then he turned off the camera. When I came on this podcast, I did not think that it would just be me and Nelson Muntz doing armpit farts at me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that that would literally uh... be the only reason I'd, I there's no reason I can't be asked. I can't be asked. There's nothing. You're right. It's like if they offer me something, I'd vote for the Tories if they rebranded heavily. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean the other the other big one is the Hartlepool by election, which <laughs> is soon tomorrow. It's tomorrow. Uh, it is tomorrow. It I... It's everything, isn't it? Everything that was postponed is on tomorrow. So it's Hartlepool. There's two mayoral elections, which Labour are heavily slated to do badly in. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the London Assembly. Well, there's and, one and that mayor. there's one that Labour will probably lose, and then the London mayoral one where Sadiq Khan won't do as well as he should do. Um, and that isn't just because everyone in London is a black cab driving LBC phoner in a screaming about no. knife crime. Um, but yeah, the Hartlepool, it's pretty funny. Like that, there's that people are like the left are pretty much doing what we're saying. Like I can't be asked, why would I bother? Um, yeah, I did There's see something on... like something like sixty percent of people who vo- who like Labour Party people who voted Labour last time said they're not going to this time. <laughs> That's <laughs> I might be a little worried if I was you know at Labour Party HQ, but no, all the excuses are already in. Yep. Uh, let's see. Um, I saw less internal democracy. That's the problem. Even though this can- Hartlepool candidate was handpicked and parachuted in. Yep. Saudi Paul. Um, Saudi Paul. What's his name? Paul Williams. I don't know. I, I see Saudi Paul, and now it's Saudi Paul in my head. Um, yep. I did see there was a good. There was a good tweet. Someone said that it's like, hang on. So a Labour doing a an anti sleaze thing, and at the moment they're running a by election in a place where the last one stood down because of sexual harassment allegations, and the Indeed. person that they placed to run a, to run is um his nickname is Saudi Paul. <laughs> <laughs> It's very difficult to get someone who hasn't either done a noncing or taken money from the kingdom. It's, <laughs> it is very I, hard. I can't go anywhere without meeting these people. Oh, you they're, know? they're everywhere. Everywhere. I'm just constantly bumping into them. Um, but yeah, there's... Uh, what's, uh, oh yeah, Jimmy Bollock was saying um, that you need to understand that there's a section of the left that don't care about a Labour government, they just want to feel vindicated. And there is a lot of truth to that for the first time in his life. But I have no desire to be vindicated. There's like, there's no way that they, the people who were wrong are ever going to accept that they were wrong 
because you know I watch them do that with the EU stuff. Um, but I do want revenge, and mm. them losing this, lots this of places weird, will make me laugh. This very weird thing that's that's come back into vogue and is is really stark now because we've had that other alternative for a while. Yeah, is how much. I mean, there's the guilt thing, but how much people expect you not to vote for your own politics? Like, it's selfish Mm -hmm. if you vote for your own politics. Like, I'm not voting because my politics isn't on the ballot. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Like, you have to come to me. And it's something they only ever do to the left. Yeah. You have to come to us. We don't don't ever come to you. Yeah. You know? Just, uh, ah. But yeah, it's good. Now, the only thing is, we're not going to get the satisfaction of although maybe it would be more delicious because we're not going to get the satisfaction of you know they count the votes and then like early friday morning say like lol labor lost um it will be a really long drawn out affair because of rona um the yeah, counting sure. but maybe that'll be more delicious as they're like as you know when they say oh it's not looking good but that spread over three days <laughs> yeah i mean especially the mayoral election i mean i think sadiq khan's team put out a uh a thing today saying, oh, we're expecting it to be much closer than originally thought, which usually means they're actually a little bit more confident than Paul suggests, but he has dropped precipitously. Mm. And I can't see that there's any particular reason other than, um, I mean, there's there's other candidates running who are taking some of that, that memeable space that I guess Sadiq Khan never really gets into <laughs> yeah. as a quote-unquote proper politician. But... There's also the fact that like nothing, nothing's changed. No one, I don't think anyone particularly likes Sean Bailey anymore, mm-hmm. any more than they did. Mm. But there's a there's a weird thing with London. Like I, I felt for a long time like I can't actually understand fully why there's not a lot more Tory, Tory councils and and Tory um, representation in London. Why it's seen as this like Labour bastion, because there's a lot of frankly, Tory mini-towns yeah. around the edge of London. Yeah. You know, I mean, I can't, like, the only thing I can see is that the Tories think eventually London will be theirs once everyone else is driven out. Yeah. You know? And, I mean, Labour's not fucking doing anything to take, to, to shore up that Got that on. coalition, because, of course, it can't be seen as... Actually, I don't even know what they want to be seen as anymore. No, God, um, no I don't know what they want. Um, apart we, from... Demanding weakness, our weakness personified. <laughs> yeah, there is that. I'm talking in terms of strength and weakness, but like apolitically, they look like a shambles, and that doesn't help. Yeah, they look, they look bad. Like Keir Starmer is not it. Whatever they thought it was going to be, whatever they think it needs to be, mm. he's not it. Mm. Mm-hmm. There's no. I, I worry for a future where, like that, Nikos Omeliana, the YouTuber. Uh, the YouTuber who's doing better than the, who's currently doing better than the Greens, <laughs> and is probably going to get his deposit back if if polls are to be believed, he will get his deposit back. Nice. And when I um, I was looking into him for the for the practice cast pod. Um, I don't think we got to discuss him eventually, but like looked in, and he's just like a prank YouTuber. Yeah. Like nothing, nothing about him. He's just like a, a kid who's who's yeah. hung, who's thirsty and hungry for for likes and retweets. It's quite a big account. Like when Blippi shit thought, on his mate. Exactly the same, hmm. yeah. Um, except it's like opening like a fake McDonald's in front of his house okay. and getting people to drive through. It's stuff like that. Hmm. Be- 
big like you can put a big thumbnail on there you get a load of views because mm-hmm. um, of the algorithm and I thought yeah that is kind of depressing but it's also kind of like indicative of where you probably need to go like Corbyn there probably was a section of Corbyn's popularity that was that was there because he had an online army of people who liked him and there were memeable bits there were bits uh, there was imagery and uh, like structure of feeling that was put in front of people mm. that told you what he was about without actually seeing any of his like politics or like in particular like the fucking video of him with the uh, playing ping pong yeah yeah um that that came out and it was it was you can't teach that you can't like you can't fake it mm. and it worries me that that is the future of where you go because that means like essentially fucking uh who's who's like the most popular person in britain right now other than boris johnson like the most popular celeb like marcus rashford's pretty popular sure okay yeah right marcus rashford right um if he like i mean he's a bit more straight because he has like a a proper career and everything but if if you could if you could turn a celebrity into a politician Mm. and get just hit just the right amount of momentum at the right time that person could be like the leader of a party or do really well or get some kind of elected to some kind of prominent position and it's not really a long like thought out thing about politics it's Mm. more like a a a short term like burst of of yeah as horrible as the word is memeability but at the same time like it, it depresses me that like that is that would do so well but at the same time it's like no one in labor has understood that at all no there is nothing to it they're running a campaign like it was the fucking 60s no, he oh, without how the politics. You. How dare you? He, they are being so modern. I've seen all the boxing gloves. Oh, oh God, yeah, the worst. And you know what? Corbyn did it as well. But yeah. what did Corbyn do? He had a wry smile on his face, as if he knew this was very stupid. Hmm. Now that is the kind of empathetic communication skills that we did not get to see enough of, frankly, in the mainstream of him in the mainstream. But at the same time, it is something that you cannot. You cannot teach. You can't teach how to be a normal human being. Like no, that, you know? No, you, can't. you can't teach that like little look and then being able to take, make fun of himself. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why I'll be voting for Brian Rose because he is, you know, hashtag B-boy life forever. Yeah, that's what happens when that goes wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what happen- that's what happens when you think there's such a thing as the meme war. <laughs> exactly, yeah, that's a good point. For our main topic this week, we wanted to talk about something that has, frankly, been a long time coming that we've sort of leaned away from because I guess we wanted to see how it would finish. Also, yeah, we, yeah, we've done a show on propaganda before. Uh, we have done a show on propaganda before. Um, I cannot remember for the fucking life of me what we covered in that show. Dear Happy Lord. Valley, or was that the nineties one? No, Happy Valley wasn't nineties. We probably I would have talked about Happy Valley. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, we probably talked about we talked about Happy Valley and stuff. But like, obviously, there's one huge heavyweight uh, in the cop drama genre, and it's Line of Duty. Mm-hmm. We did also cover the Bodyguard <clears throat> in an episode previously. Uh, mm-hmm. This is a this is Jed Mercurio, the writer of the Bodyguard, his long term uh, project and probably his most successful. Mm-hmm. Um. 
but let me take you back for a little bit. Yeah. Uh, to 2012. Yeah. It was a very interesting time. Mm-hmm. The coalition was two years in, elected or nearly elected, on a wave of fear about the imminent economic collapse of the UK, unless they were allowed to root out every remaining vestige of the welfare state. Um, the Cameron government was also clinging to the last vestiges of a Blairite legacy that seemed to be concrete, a general acceptance that Britain had become a multicultural, multi-ethnic state and that racism had become a thing of the past. New Labour's culture-focused teeth gnashing over Islam, notwithstanding. Um, it's telling that the twin poles of kind of political developments in 2012 were the Health and Social Care Bill mm-hmm. and the 2012 Olympics, of mm-hmm. course, crippling the NHS while promoting the idea that we had become a modern, tolerant nation. Um, when it came to power in 1997, New Labour came in with a mission to make the UK a suitable place for modern branches of capital to invest in. Things like police racism weren't just damaging socially, but had made the UK look bad. That was part of the old Britain, not the shiny new Britain that they were creating. One of New Labour's biggest early moves in policing was the Macpherson Report, supposedly to usher in a new era of diversity and multiculturalism, not just to the police, but to all state institutions. It essentially consisted of an offer made to police, politically supporting them with expanded powers, increased funding, which reached its highest level during the Blair era, but transforming them culturally, emphasising PR and phrases like community policing, essentially trying to inject some of the organisational razzmatazz of a British petroleum or Dow chemical into the Met Police (laughs) and, consequently, into other police forces. Cameron took this legacy on board when he became PM as part of his own brand of liberal conservatism. For example, under the Cameron government, the first people to be prosecuted under hate crime legislation were prosecuted in 2012. But at the same time, the Met started using its gangs matrix, described by Amnesty International as a tool that criminalised young black men for their choice of friends, their social media posts, or the music they listened to. And of course, the other big thing in 2012, Line of Duty first appeared on screen. Mm-hmm. ostensibly stemming from creator Jed Mercurio using the Jean-Charles de Menezes shooting in 2005 as a way in to doing a police drama about an anti-corruption unit. Realistically, and when it comes to politics, nothing in line of duty should bear any relation to like, <laughs> politics. It is an appallingly written and acted show, a wafer-thin drama where stories are raised only to be dropped when they're inconvenient, twists manufactured out of thin air, Characters contorted into grotesque mockeries of human beings, doing things that bear no relation to anything they've done before or would logically do, just for the sake of a twist ending. However, I think, for the f- at least in its first few seasons, it's also a weird blend of the specific pol- political time it comes out of, straddling the fine line between Blairism and Cameronism. It portrays a chaotic world, a broken Britain, yeah. to use Cameron's phrase, where no-go areas for police exist... <laughs> Police cars are regularly ambushed by gunmen, and approximately 60 to 100 police officers a year are murdered. (laughs) But it also postures at offering the kind of institutional redemption that New Labour promised when it came to power. It's a world where non-white and female officers are able to stride the halls of power alongside, or more accurately just behind, their white male counterparts, but then also get to use their minority status as a weapon to escape culpability when needed. <laughs> is um, that Eddie James in the first season? That is Thandie Newton in oh, the does she do fourth it? season. Yeah, she does it the most, yeah. Okay. Um, but most importantly, 
It portrays a flat, featureless world where anyone can be anything they want to be, but all they are are points in a graph of causal relations with no history or future except for a gradual climb up the greasy pole where everyone is an individual responsible for their own destiny, enjoying two-minute pub conversations with workmates where the only topic of conversation is more work. They get invited out for curries only to discuss the latest financials. A world where no one really enjoys being in that world. Hmm. Um, so, yeah. I watched all of this show in about <laughs> a week and a half or two weeks. Okay, yeah. So, just a little background. I wanted to Test do a me. show about life on Mars. Life on Mars, um, mm-hmm. Light of Dewey, because I hate it with a burning passion. Um, and I hate all cop shows. Um, and the ratings were going up, though. and this one was getting a lot of advertising. Jeb Mercurio gets a lot of um, a lot of people blowing smoke up his ass for being a genius. Has done for a while now. He's got knighthood for services to drama. Um, and he just, he rubs... Is he his- a sir? Is he a sir? Um, he's got an OBE. What one's that? Oh, right, right. Order of the British Empire. Okay. That's, yeah. Um, he's got that Pokemon gym badge. Um, <laughs> and I hate it. And um, I wanted to watch... I was like, okay, we need to talk about it. Um, and I told you, don't watch it. Just read up about it and watch the latest series. You, being an idiot and being like, I like to do the research, decided to subject yourself that- to... An absurd amount right. of some okay. of the worst television this to is ever exactly, be conceived. This is exactly the kind of historical revisionism <laughs> I've come to, to expect from someone who loves Line of Duty as much as you do, right? <laughs> I said, should I just watch the last season? And you said, no, you won't know what's going on. And frankly, you were kind of right. I, I'm glad I watched it all. Like, I, I think it's given, a, it's given a real feel for it. But it's also made me exasperated because... <laughs> I have no idea. And yes, I'm talking about you, you on Twitter, fucking leftist shit poster, whoever you are, and tweeted about how you loved Line of Duty and loved how it was acted and so well written. <laughs> I do not understand what the fuck you are talking about. Generally, aside from the propaganda thing, don't understand what you're talking about. We will get to that, though. <laughs> um, so I thought, yeah, it's actually kind of more interesting to... like. You watched all of it take- in how short a time? Uh, two weeks. I'm talking about whole series in a night. Yeah. You know, it's only six episodes a season, so it's it's doable. I did the I, I entire last season. I wouldn't season. recommend it. I did the entire last season on Sunday. I've watched bits and pieces over the years, um, but I watched all of the last season on Sunday, and um, my scriptwriter script wife was not happy. She was fuming <laughs> the whole time. So, like, there's been a kind of excuse I've seen popping around in discourse about this whole show, and it would usually be someone going, why are you watching the show? It's propaganda. Yeah. And someone will pop up and say, well, actually, it's uh, about people who police the police. Mm-hmm. It's about who so watches the, the watchman. It's, it's about corrupt cops. <laughs> so, therefore, it's anti-cop. And, uh, No. No, 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 no. Sorry, no. sorry. You're not going to have that. Like, the truth is, the truth is always abstract, right? Mm. Any interpretation is is only done through through someone's someone's eyes. You know, mm. the, the the common interpretation of this show is that Jed Mercurio said that oh, it bears a relation to reality. You know, it's a, it's an interpretation, but it bears, bears a very strong relation to reality, right? Um, 
we would never know what goes on in these units, but I've had interviews with like ex members of, of anti corruption units and this is this is what it what it is. Like hmm. cops in this show are regularly murdered in well planned ambushes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh those um there was there was That's all of... I would say about that. Like, <laughs> it, I, I cannot understand. Right and in a Midlands town. In a small Midlands town. In a in a well in it's so We'll talk about the city in a bit, but like, this is in a media, it's not London. They're very keen to stress, like, this clearly is not London, mm. right? Um, there's no political power there other than the council, I guess, uh, which is which is never really mentioned. There's a city council, presumably. That's the political setup of this of this town. We are talking like regular ambushes with also with gunmen that completely disappear. Mm-hmm. are never found and they don't even attempt to find them they would never be able to find them mm-hmm. you know it's pretty i mean it, it is pretty obviously drawing quite a strong uh example from northern ireland mm. right but frankly all they need is fucking fortunate sun playing and it's vietnam <laughs> there was um, <laughs> a thing i heard on the radio um the woman who prime suspect is based off of is it Prime Suspect? I think it's Prime Suspect. Um, yes. She's like, uh, um, she helps out with police shows. I don't know if she does it as much anymore, but she used to help out with police shows a lot and she was a very, she was a long-serving copper. And she, the thing that she said when she was asked like how realistic is she, she just said, they don't do any policing. They never discover anything. <laughs> they never investigate. There's, there's like two things in this that really annoy me about like the relation to, to kind of reality for mm. what it's worth. I don't know what goes... That's the thing. I don't actually know what goes on no. in these units, right? So technically, me saying it doesn't bear any relation to reality, I, I don't know. But actually, it doesn't. To be fair, there's, um, the Spike Ops trial is ongoing, so we can find out a little bit of what the fuck it's like. <laughs> and it ain't like this. There's, there's two major things that really fucking annoy me about talking about how it's in relation to reality. Yeah. First off, the police are very regularly, physically, like coercively overpowered. Let's say coercively overpowered. Mm-hmm. They win, I think, one firefight in this whole in this whole show. That doesn't happen. No one, and I mean no one, deploys more violence than the police. Mm-hmm. They would not be the police if they did not deploy more violence than any potential adversary. Mm-hmm. No one wins. Like no one takes a shot. At cops and like disappears and never gets caught. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They go after them. And like obviously that like the element of this that's propaganda is oh yeah, well obviously they're trying to portray a very dangerous world in which police need every single power they have just to hang on. Yeah. Um but to be honest, in addition, nothing in this show shows like that crimes are ever solved beyond the use of normal police powers. Hmm. Like they don't need any longer, like they don't need any longer detention powers. They don't really need to deploy anything more because, like, they deploy the maximum amount of firepower they can. They lose anyway. Yeah. You know, there's not, um, like, usually you'd have like, oh, a, a weaselly defense lawyer or something. Mm. The defense lawyers in this, or their counterparts, like police union reps, mm. are what they usually have. Barely say a word. Mm. Barely interject. So it doesn't, like, lean on that trope. But, like, there's a very odd, like, mi- like everyone's firearm trained. Yeah. Everyone. There's, like, so in, in the Met, 
out of 40,000 cops, there's about 2,000 that are fire and trained. And that's it. that includes airports, diplomatic services, royal protection, all of the other stuff that London has to have, like, armed officers for. Yeah. That includes that. <laughs> like, Birmingham, where this is supposedly a version of, has about 200 <laughs> armed officers. And, I mean, that many probably die in this whole show. <laughs> um the other thing is, like, the wildly varying standards of evidence that they use to make decisions. This doesn't just mean, like, police stuff, but, like, the plot requires much more or less evidence for them to pursue a lead or do a thing. Hmm. You know how you do a thing that you've got a choice between a number of different things and you choose, based on rationality, what... what avenue you're going to pursue? Yeah. This varies, like, massively. Sometimes there might be, like a bit of forensic pollen on something, which means this is a shoo-in. Other times, someone, like, actively ran away from you or, like, like held their gun against you. And that's not enough to bring them into arrest. It's bizarre. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah, usually these kind of cop shows, they show the kind of... there's There seems to be kind of a couple of different types of cop show. Like, you've got the detective types which is the more old-fashioned ones where you've got like a singular like cid detective going around using his noggin to solve crimes broadchurch um uh i was thinking of uh like i don't know your, your taggarts or something like that oh you know, yeah, like, yeah okay something like that no, i'm talking than... about old cop shows okay. detective shows they're they're sherlock holmes but with like the more fact they're a copper yeah 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 um or, you know, there's the kind of, like, more high-octane one where the police is essentially, like, a paramilitary force, you know? And then there's the ones where they try and show the police as kind of a, a supplement or a main kind of social service. Mm. So, you know, they're helping victims and mm. all that kind of thing. But this doesn't really show any different side to the police. Like, it's notable for the fact that there's vast voids of elements that you would expect to be in any well-fleshed-out world. You know, there's no, like, public. Hmm. There's, no, there's not really a general public. There's, there's, like, populations of places that they go to. So they go to, like, the Sink Estate, and they talk yeah. about how it's a no-go area. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all right, sure. Um, and, you know, there's no... Um, there's no press, other than one specific plot point where they invent a journalist and a, a newspaper... There's, oh. like, no press. Oh, the journalist in the last season's the best. Murdered for a podcast. I identify with that. <laughs> there's no... Yeah, I mean, there's no... There's the higher-ups in the police. There's no... Um, like I say, the city council, which I presume this not-London town runs under because there is no other, like, big political group other than Parliament. That's mm. the whole point of Parliament. There's none of that. Mm. Um, there's really basically just cops... And robbers. There's the and some of the cops are robbers. There's the police commissioner. The, you know the yeah. You know what I mean. But like, there's there's the police, and then there is nothing else. Yeah. There is that. That is a very like. No one else knows or is involved or is portrayed as having any kind of bouncing off. It's a very like A and B show. Mm. Do you know what I mean? There is a force acting on a counterforce, mm. and some of that force is like corrupt and helping out the counterforce. Or whatever. Um, yeah, the other weird thing is, like, the crimes are very weird. Like, there's not even, like... When I'm talking about voids in the show, there's not a significant talk about, like, money. Mm. 
Like, I guess that there is money handled and, like, some of the motives for the cops is like, oh, I was getting paid. Mm. But, like, there's no real reason why they want all this money. Do you know what I mean? There's yeah. no, it's, it's, a, it's a function of them not being very good characters. But there's no... There's no reason... There's no reason given for why they need this money. Like, they still... They, they take this money and still live in shit houses. You know, they still, like, drive the same cars. They still eat the same shitty takeaway all the time. <laughs> they still go to the same pubs. They do what they do, apparently, for no reason other than that they're evil. <laughs> you know? Although, the corrupt cops are, like, there's, like, one in each season that they focus mm. on. And they are literally the only ones that are given any kind of character work in, like, all of all of Line of Duty. In, like, yeah. By, like... By a country mile, I could, I could tell you virtually nothing about um, the man who's Scottish but putting on an Essex accent, or Vicky McClure, or the guy who was in the Troubles. Oh yeah, fucking that is that's very weird. That's the, that's what you always have to have in a British crime drama. You have to have a hard nosed Ulsterman. <laughs> and I know he's Catholic, and I know Ulster. You might object to the term Ulsterman, but he's fictional. What the fuck are you going to do? Um, <laughs> Because that, I mean, it comes from the fact that's a really colonial trope. Hmm. Because that's um, that's like getting in a real hard man who's like seen the dark side of policing the natives and is yeah. back to show the effete English what to do. Fucking um, I... Sam Neill in Peaky Blinders. Yeah. Is that is that exactly? Well, that's the thing. What I'd say is actually it's not a it's it's not a trope that's been used that much in recent years. Like in it's in Peaky Blinders. Um, it's you know set in a different time and they're doing something, but sure, yeah. in um in Line of Duty, it's like it's because of how old fashioned Jed Mercurio is, and because of mm. it, it betrays his views on a lot of this shit. Yeah, it's a very weird thing. Like, the, actually, I mean, the whole relationship of the show with Northern Ireland. I've already mentioned that kind of it has a level and a type of violence that is like echoes. Northern Ireland during the Troubles, so mm. it's all it's a load of balaclavered men somewhere in fatigues with like automatic weapons driving up on big armoured vans with Range Rovers and shooting into them and then disappearing into an industrial estate yeah, like it's proper kind of using that yeah. using that aesthetic um, thing at one point they're fucking <laughs> there's one point, so they they like accuse the 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 like head of the anti-corruption unit, the Ted Hastings, the the Northern Irish character, of being corrupt, mm. and this is the worst thing you would do. I'm corrupt. You're bent. You're a bent copper. Mm. Really hate how much time they they spent using that phrase. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like showing him like images of of like something he's been involved with, and his wife has been targeted in an attack that appears to bear the hallmarks of, like, a sectarian Northern Ireland attack. Mm-hmm. So Pluck is a kneecapping, basically. Yeah. Um, kneecapping and hitting both elbows. And, like, at one point, they put up, like, a picture of a random Republican paramilitary group, and it said, is there something familiar? That's right, it looks exactly like this this crime gang that targeted your wife. What do you have to say to that? You used to police in Northern Ireland, didn't you? And it's like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> This weird little, like, sprinkling of well-known but exotic spice that you can put over your English cop drama. (laughs) And the Northern Ireland shit is all actually incredibly fucked. Like, talking, like, 
mentioning Northern Ireland alongside covert and undercover policing and the standards of covert policing in Northern Ireland during the Troubles. Let's talk about that, shall we? Mm. No, we're not going to talk about that. God, okay. no. um, it's very strange. And like the, the, the way that they go about like grouping together and typifying what a corrupt cop is. Yeah. Like it seems to be very, like a very discreet category. It's a, like a category that you are or you're on. You know, usually you have, like, in these things, you have a maverick detective that bends the rules. Yeah. For instance, he'll go a little faster if he wants to go get somewhere quickly. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, like, the status of corrupt seems not to... It, it kind of involves money, but also it involves, like, not having the moral conscience to not be corrupt. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and it's, it's a very weird thing, because it, it's almost kind of... The police, especially the Met, got very were forced mainly by the McPherson report to get more of a corporate organisation about them. It wasn't just that they had, they had to reform internally. They were told, but they had to like basically get better PR, mm-hmm. and they became yeah much more much more kind of organised along a corporate lines. You know, mm. um, sort of abandoning some some of that military the military thing that they had. Yeah. But this one seems to like desperately want to put that back in by giving people a moral conscience that involves their duty to the state being beyond their economic needs. Mm-hmm. You know, like what is it? What's actually like in real in realistic terms? The things that prevent cops bribery. The thing that prevents in the real world cops being bribed is that they're probably like able to haul down more money than any anybody would be able to bribe them with unless it's a really big bribe right so there's some cases in like manchester of like there's some cases in manchester of like people helping out like old school friends and stuff like that like who've been who've been like gangsters or whatever but it's not something that you come to fresh Mm. do you know what i mean yeah and it's trying to insert this like honor system back into into policing and say it's such a shame and it's such a like naive and frankly non-capitalist way of, of <laughs> thinking you know capitalism dissolves all bonds of chivalry all that kind of stuff and mm. expecting cops to be chivalrous mm. you know like and aside from anything like most of the cops in this are that most of the corrupt cops that like do do a turn so like they'll be going along with someone and then they'll suddenly turn on that person and shoot them in the face mm-hmm. And that's because they've been paid to do it. Hmm. Um, most of them are faceless, don't get names. Um, most of the named guest stars who are the focuses of each season are corrupt, but they've got a good reason a good reason for doing it, right? Hmm. So Lenny James, right, he was corrupt out of um, fear and protecting like his overachievements and was essentially gotten into it by being tricked by the woman he was having an affair with. Right, because he at the beginning he gets her off a traffic ticket, um, li- like lies and frames her to get her off like a traffic ticket. Mm. And it turns out she actually ran someone over. And so he kind of gets enmeshed in it like that. Also, interestingly, mirroring the principle of broken window policing, that if you stop people doing the small things, they won't do the big things. Mm. Um, there's Keely Hawes. She was corrupt, but she was corrupt out of good intentions for killing a pedo. I think that was how that ended up. Yeah, I can barely remember season two. Yeah, so she, it's usually, they're in a, they're in a, like, the usual story in these is that they're in an armed convoy going somewhere, and for some reason they stop the armed convoy, (laughs) 
and then it gets ambushed by gunmen and every copper is killed except this one person. Yeah. And you see it all from their perspective and it doesn't look like they're corrupt, but then it, they go to them in their hospital bed and they find £50,000. <laughs> it turns out they are. <laughs> um, yeah, there's like Billy Mays. Uh, he's that armed SWAT guy. He was corrupt because he wanted revenge against people who abused him at a children's home. Yep. He goes around murdering them. Fandy Newton's corrupt because she wanted to make up time in her career after having kids. <laughs> Stephen Graham is corrupt because he's an undercover copper who wants to find where all the really corrupt people are. <laughs> and then there's uh, also a Scottish lady in the last season. She's corrupt because she had a father uncle. Yeah. And she was groomed to be corrupt, and so she can't be blamed. Like, none of them are responsible for their own actions. They're mm. all portrayed as essentially, like, being either coerced or tricked into it. They're essentially, like, a bigger boy made me do it. <laughs> like, it's completely false to say that this show is about, like, calling out evil. Mm. Every proper bad guy in this is either completely anonymous or too high up to be touched. Yeah. Like, it's incredibly odd how this how this shakes out. Well, there's a recurring thing that they have in it, which is part of the reason why people got mad at the end. Of like, mm. okay, it's like, when the first season came out, it didn't do that well. Um, and I don't think the BBC were very happy with it. I think they were trying to do a British Shield and it went wrong. Um, I and then it, that, yeah. And then it turned into something new with when they added Keely Hawes and had her stuff and then it became very much this that kind of show. Um, but... All the way through, Jed Mercurio has been able to have be lauded from both camps, from like the camp of people who like actually this is very smart because they read the Wikipedia articles at each other and they're using all the correct mm-hmm. words, and the people who are like this is really cool and really over the top and I really like all the gunfights, and he's had that for so long, um, and it just feels it feels uncomfortable the show because he yeah. he is trying to appeal to both of those people and he's not very good at it. Like he is yeah. not a good writer. Like I think, did, I, I like yeah. he wrote a show years and years ago called Bodies, which I re- I remember really liking. I imagine it probably does still hold up. I'm not going to give him any extra time because I can't be asked anymore. But the thing that's very telling, if that one is still good, is he used to be a doctor. He never used to be a cop. He's just yeah. going to talk to policemen and then taking all of their words for it. It's like, oh yeah, we're always getting shot at, mate. Yeah, yeah. He's like those journalists who are always like, oh, yeah, these policemen were injured at this protest, and it turns out they weren't. Yeah. Actually, that was one thing I did want to mention. Like, the number of um, references to real-life things is <laughs> is incredibly weird. Like, so the series starts with, like, a... It's a, a, a Jean-Charles de Menezes-type situation, right? The main character... The main character goes into... Like, it's storming a, a, an Islamist... Uh, terrorist and they get the wrong door and they shoot someone who um, they shoot someone who's carrying their baby rather than carrying their bomb but they didn't do a procedure they didn't say a magic word Hmm. so therefore and then the commander asked them all to lie about it so far so okay I can I can believe that that would happen and I can believe that you could make a realistic anti somewhat anti cop drama like that um that's barely given any time at all hmm. um, oh, <laughs> um you've got uh the Cyril Smith mm-hmm. pedo stuff um which fucking absolutely bizarre um thing it's like a it's one of the like 
one of the running through threads is that the big conspiracy of corrupt coppers, there's a big conspiracy hmm. um, going all the way to the top. They don't know how far because the only clue they have is um, like a dying man um, says the, or nods at the word H and clicks his fingers four times to say that there's four like heads of corrupt cops. It's fucking mad. Side note, absolutely the other thing about real about realism is absolutely mad that they essentially use cop magic. <laughs> Dying declarations is a thing that happens in a few a few times in this season whereby the words of a dying man are, are taken as more truthful. <laughs> I looked this up, right? It did used to be a thing, but all it did was um in a court, a dying declaration would turn hearsay into evidence that might be considered. <laughs> right? And it, they treat it, it's like as proper Anglo-Saxon magic. <laughs> we've got to capture his, we've got to capture his truth as it comes out of his lungs. <laughs> Get me a large bottle. <laughs> um, yeah, so like you've got this, this, this Cyril Smith uh, pedo thing, which bizarrely they then start to mesh with actual Jimmy Savile. Mm-hmm. So they Photoshop Jimmy Savile into a photo of an actor mm-hmm. playing a fat 70s counselor <laughs> who is obviously Cyril Smith. <laughs> they Photoshop him in. It's, it's like, what are you doing? Is Cyril Smith going to sue? <laughs> what? Um, there's, uh, oh, the first season has the Chris Hune um, getting his wife to accept driving points on his license. One of the uh, high up cops does that. The biggest realism thing is the, uh, the, as you mentioned, reading Wikipedia articles out at each other, the Stephen Lawrence mm-hmm. stuff. I think they call it like Lawrence Christopher. Yeah. Or something like that. Well, um, that was a particularly galling bit where they're they're they have all the cops sitting around while in se- in the final season i can't remember if she's much in the other seasons but in the final season there's this one woman who does all the policing for them and does all the investigations and is always oh, actually yeah, bringing yeah. them into a room to explain everything to them but she literally reads the wikipedia article for Stephen lawrence but she changes some of the names while the police shake their heads and go shameful shameful no mention of any you know undercover cops investigating Lawrence Christopher's family or anything like that. They're just shaking their heads. But the thing that really got me is, um, is at the moment, Jed Mercurio is exec producing a show all about Stephen Lawrence. So he did, he managed to do two for the price of one. I always thought he was a lazy, act, a lazy writer, but it turns out that actually he's just efficient. He had to read that Wikipedia article anyway. So he just used it again. I'd like to point out as well, the, the way that they, intro- I mean, look, like everything in the show, every single established world event is treated incredibly fleetingly. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about like why it's a poor show in a bit, mm-hmm. but like everything is treated very fleetingly. But the fake Stephen Lawrence thing, mm-hmm. it's um, a bunch of cops who kill a, a, a young black man in custody, right? He came up and asked them for directions, or he came yeah. up after getting beaten up. Yeah. And then they... They killed him. I think, I think it's never actually said that they killed him, but they just it. That I think it they implied. beat. I think they beat him and leave him to die in a cell or something like that. Yeah, there's something like that, and it involves like various people. It's more about the investigation, but in addition, they say that these men were part of the conspiracy. They constantly make. 
the dividing line between a cop and an OCG, organised mm. crime gang. That's the dividing line. You're, you're in one, you're in the other, but there are some cops who are working for the OCG. And that makes them basically... Which is imp- isn't that implying that killing Stephen Lawrence was not the result of institutional racism, but the result of, like, the organised of organized crime. Well, there's, yeah, there's the, the investigation. Hint, there's more than a hint of that, that these were not normal coppers. They were influenced. They were dark coppers. Well, and therefore cannot be tagged with the same institutionally racist um, well, tag that the Met are. They have the, the investigation into the death of this guy was covered up it was like it was manipulated and um the policeman got off because mm. one of the policemen was the son of this um this criminal mastermind who'd started the OCG in this midlands town um yeah. the father uncle of um what's the name in the last season mm. um so that's yeah. so it's like so the so actually it's not even a copper that's the the real reason it's a person who's like an undercover criminal inside the police force infiltrated and infected it with racisms <laughs> it's just the idea that like this isn't this isn't anti like this isn't anti corruption and trying to make a point about institutional corruption within police the undercover cops who infiltrate the Stephen Lawrence campaign and frankly the cops who investigated the, uh, or failed to investigate the uh, Stephen Lawrence murder, were doing specifically what they were told to do and allowed to do by law and by like the standards of their institution. Yeah, that's specifically what institutional corruption and racism is about. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't include any of it. No, absolutely nothing. It specifically points you away from institutional explanations. Mm-hmm. By making everyone so fucking lonely and making everyone act on their own. Mm. They're only doing these things not because they're coppers, but because they're criminals. Mm. Because they are, they are literally paid to. Mm. Yeah, That's the weird kind of dichotomy that good coppers do things because they're not paid to. <laughs> and criminals do things because they are paid to. Yeah. No other, no other like um, motivations need to happen. Nothing else like that. Uh, just... And yeah, speaking of the institutional racism thing, um, they do make a lot of bones out of the fact that whenever this AC-12 unit go up against um, their higher-ups, they always refer to this report that has been done, fictional report that's been done in this in the line-of-duty world mm. that says there was a report done and we were found not to be institutionally corrupt. Mm. Which is a weird thing if it bears relation to, because the McPherson report was a huge fucking deal mm. and said specifically that the Met were institutionally racist. Oh. What does it serve this world, this realistic world, by saying that the major thing that happened in the real world, the specifically the opposite happened in this fictional world? Well, the reason that happened is because it's a because um, that's in the final series and that's Jed Mercurio's ham-fisted way of criticizing Boris Johnson because he doesn't like Boris Johnson. He doesn't like the current government. What's have to do with it? Well, no, the um the idea of having a report that um essentially whitewashes you, um mm. he's he's making he, that is literally what he's doing. He's he's. But he's, no one's. The th- I mean, the thing is that no one's going to remember the Boris Johnson report. No, everybody still talks about the uh, Mc, the McPherson dealy. Yeah, yeah. And if you're doing about police, incredibly important. If you're doing about like, police, that's more the one that you should be talking about. Yeah. Um, I mean, you could never really accuse this show of being institutionally uh, racist, I think, because um, 
Literally, the other thing I know is about this, literally 60% of this police force is made up of Asian women. <laughs> to the point that whenever one gets bumped off, they already have another one for at least an episode before to put into exactly the same role. See, I don't remember, I can't really remember in previous seasons, but in the final season there is, um, there's a lesbian couple and the Asian lesbian is literally an angry, mad ex mm-hmm. and like really really angry and mad it was extremely cool actually because that i'd already gotten used to the show's kind of um plot errors mm. um because everything was just by so fast you can never really never really get into it but the best thing was that copper so the the idea is that she split up with um she was having a a, a gay relationship with her superior officer the woman from Trainspotting. The woman from Trainspotting. She splits up with her and then makes a complaint to anti-corruption that turns out to be right. Yeah. But she has appeared in one of the previous seasons. Oh, has she? And when they, when they meet up, um, she, goes, um, she goes to Steve Arnott, the anti-corruption guy. Um, Steve Arnott goes, oh, Farida? Because he's met her before. And she goes, no, look, I don't want any names. Hmm. What? You've met before. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell's going on? Women be forgetting, yo. Um, but it is quite good that you know, um, Line of Duty stuck to the very, very traditional trope of having an older white police officer who's divorced, beset on all sides by women of colour <laughs> who are tying him up in their conspiracies. <laughs> you know. Yeah. That it, that gets deployed. Uh, I think it's Thandi Newton's season that gets deployed. Um, uh, by her in one of the interviews saying you just don't like me because you're a woman because you called me darling <laughs> <laughs> oh. but luckily I mean literally like, you can't get any institutional racism in this because there is no public hmm. there is no general public in this For you don't see you don't see coppers doing interacting at all with the general public they go into buildings there is someone in a building a receptionist or the person they're looking for or they want to talk to there is no one else there are no random um meetups on the street there is no one else to deal with i think there's literally a crowd scene of maybe a, a couple of times in the whole six series um they're they're no one they're nothing and like i think that's that's a really weird thing as well like um, the the fact that the city's really anonymous that is is anonymous, right? That's not this weird. That's pretty standard for British TV at the moment. Sure, um, it's a, it's a, a kind of a weird thing because like they're very desperate to say it's not London, hmm. right? Um, it, they're called the Central Police. Mm-hmm. Um, the city's unnamed, but it's it's got ex-industrial areas. It's got council estates. Um, you know, I guess they couldn't use a real-world police-like name because the police didn't cooperate with this series, apparently. Um, but it's a very it's a very weird thing because, like, that's also another thing that kind of gets... That, that makes it kind of not realistic. Like, it has no character to it. It has a lot of different... Well, yeah, that's... That, I would say that that is literally... That is a thing that, <clears throat> that most British telly leans into now because they think that... Mm. Because people will complain if it's in London and people from the South will complain if it's too North. 
Um, so what they do is they set it in a null space that people can say, this feels like London, or they can say, this feels like nowhere. It's just like, it, yeah, it, it answers it, no questions. It doesn't I, solve I any think, problem. I mean, Yeah, I think that like the kind of resources that are on show in this, in this programme... Mm. And like a lack of at least a shred of like a singular accent. Mm, yeah. I think I think it just automatically ends up rerouting your brain to London. Yeah. Because like yeah, you've got loads of you've got loads of money, and like everyone has every different kind of accent. So yeah, it's London. Yeah. Because that's where those people live. Yeah. Yeah. That's, the other thing is they don't really have. They don't really have much of a class element in this. There's an odd. There's an odd relationship with class. Like, if you watch old old cop dramas, a very common trope is there's the posh, out-of-touch commander. Mm-hmm. You know, the posh, out-of-touch commissioner. Probably even more than, like, lower-class hooligan. Mm. As far as, like, as far as those shows go. Yeah. And I guess, like, you've got, um... What's his face? Uh, the Hilton. The, uh... Jamie from The Thick of It. Mm. The guy oh, yeah. who... So, Steve Arnott the main character, I guess, is suppressing his Scottish accent to do a Cockney accent, um, or a South East accent, and this guy, Hilton, is suppressing his Scottish accent to do a posh accent. <laughs> <laughs> um, like a more recognisably, like, public school accent, yeah. you know? Yeah, like, the class element of it is is a very strange thing, but, like, what's stranger is the fact that I feel very weird talking about any of this, because, like, I've been skirting around it because we've got to really talk about how it functions and how it portrays police and police work. Mm. But it's actually very difficult to do that because it's an appalling show. Mm-hmm. Like, objectively, terribly written, just sparsely acted, barely acted. Like, there's no fucking character work. Mm-hmm. Like, even the most basic, like, even the most basic, t- like, cop shows, like, devote like 30% of the time to the characters. Do you mm. know what I mean? To Like, you know, F- Frost is an aging misanthrope unable to form a relationship. Morse is an aging misanthrope unable to form a relationship. Taggart <laughs> is a raging misanthrope, you know. Um, and this show just delights in showing you maybe like 20 seconds a season oh. of a character's like personal life or interiority. Where, and then just like, nope, no more. Where Vicky McClaw and the most boring man alive say mate at each other a couple of times and it feels oh, like it feels like man. they've never said that word. My but, God. <laughs> it's um I think it it's important to talk about all the other stuff before we talk about how bad it is. Because it's important there people have put a lot onto this show. And the only yes. way that I can think the only reason I can think that they're doing it is because it's so empty. And in the same way that in the olden days people would write fan fiction about computer characters that have literally got no background. Like, would like, put on character traits to the characters in Street Fighter 2 that don't exist. Guile is so, American man with all of his American things, but people like put a no, like, put a personality onto him because he's so empty. Like all the characters in Line of Duty. Samus, Samus in Metroid, when she took off her helmet in whatever game that happened in, has had more words written about her than fucking... Buddha. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but I've, it comes from that same that same yeah. desire. You know, people want to. You know, especially when they've invested so much time in a thing, they they fill in the blanks themselves to make them feel better. Yeah, that it's, is a very interesting phenomenon. It's part. This, yeah. It's part of the reason why um, people got so mad at the end because they've put so much of they've put so much of themselves onto it 
that if it doesn't go the way they wanted, they feel very personally aggrieved. Despite um, Jed Mercurio having his super secret polling that he's had done, where, which says that everyone actually liked the ending. That's the thing. Jed Mercurio likes to reply to everyone on Twitter who criticizes. He's him. one of those. He's from the Kevin Smith school of like media criticism, where he mm-hmm. feels the need to refute individual things on Twitter. Yeah, which doesn't like. Oh, he's. It's a terrible show, but like that's a path to madness. Oh Just yeah. Don't do that. Oh yeah. Like, no he's... matter how bad or good your thing is, don't do that. Oh yeah. He's got one hundred percent. He's got a god complex. Um and. The fact that he's been lauded for so long for this shit series and for the bodyguard as well um, is part of the reason. They, they've hyperinflated him to a point where, of course, he's going to get angry when someone with eight followers says, I really liked the show, but I wasn't too pleased with the ending. And he's like, well, thank you. Thank you for messaging me, you piece of fucking shit. fucking hate you. There's like two, there's like a couple of really big bits. That, well, in fact, there's three big bits, the three main characters, right? So you've got Hastings, the, the daddy cop. Yeah. Right, so he's got a wife. Then he has an ex-wife who apparently divorces him because he lost a load of money in a property deal, and she turns up for one scene where they meet in a bar, hmm. and she's like unhappy with him. She's grumpy with him, apparently because he has lost a load of money. He's a fucking DCI in the police. Hmm. He's holding down a regular wage, but apparently that isn't enough. So when he thinks that he's going to get some, he's going to get a promotion hmm. uh, that eventually ends up being given to him by this corrupt copper who goes away, and then the 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 promotion goes away. But he gives her like a load of cruise booklets, and she's happy all of a sudden, right? And then when the copper who was going to give him a promotion gets banged up or killed, I can't remember how it happens. <laughs> she turns up. She gets pissy that he can't take her on a cruise, and then later it turns up two seasons later and like says, "Oh, she's divorcing him." <laughs> no reasons given, no emotional reasons stated at all, other than essentially she wanted money. <laughs> she's just a nag. Is Jed Mercurio divorced? I don't know. He feels asking divorced. for a friend. He feels He's divorced. very divorced. There's um, what um a... yeah, Carol. No, you carry on. Um, Sorry. what are the other like? One of the things that really stuck out to me in the last season, I think it happens like earlier on, is they give Steve Arnott a drug addiction to Coco de Ball. Um, that was what I was going to say, yeah. Because of his back problems. And that is 100%. Jed Mercurio is typing away. You know, he's typing away. I say typing away. He's copy-pasting from Wikipedia, as you do, as a professional screenwriter, who I worked it out was probably paid at least £800,000 to write this series. Just this final series. Just this final series. Yeah, I'd say he was roughly paid at least that. But anyway, so he's yeah. there, he's copy-pasting, he's changing the names, and you know he's doing all that stuff, tappy-tappy-tappy, and he's like, oh, my back hurts. I know, back pain. And that's why he has back pain. Yeah, like yeah, Steve Arnett gets like uh, attacked at one point in the series. He gets dumped down the stairs. He's in he's in a a, a wheelchair for some mm. of that that series. And there's all physical therapy, all literally, I mean literally five to seven second scenes mm-hmm. of him learning to walk again. <laughs> um, and yes, by season six, he's taking painkillers on the reg, uh, over the counter painkillers, as you say, Cocodamol, yeah. which apparently is a uh, is a thing because you know. Okay. Yeah. Because um, that's the character work for the final season for him. Is him taking painkillers and ignoring occupational health um, emails. Emails when they come up to him. Right. But that's not the thing that makes this show so fucking appalling. Mm. 
You can shoehorn that in, fine. You woke up in the morning, you had a bad back, you shoehorned it in, fucking hack. Hmm. It has absolutely no impact on his role in the main story. He is not hampered in any way. He doesn't have a moment of wigging out, of passing out. It is entirely supplementary to the plot. You could have someone else come in and have a painkiller addiction for him, <laughs> and it would have had exactly the same result. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's despicable. It actually became very, very enervating <laughs> after a while. But exactly the same thing with the third main character, um... Fleming, uh, Vicky McClure. Um, she gets separated from her husband because she's working long hours. Then she gets back together with the husband. Then there's some passive-aggressive notes from her husband. Then she's split up with her husband again. Has absolutely no impact on her work at all. None. Not mentioned for seasons at a time. She holds hands with the lesbian in the last season. Yeah, that was a weird one. I'm not entirely sure what was going on there. I but... wasn't sure either. <laughs> Yeah, they they kind of tease the idea that the main kind of antagonist or the person they're investigating, the guest star, is gay. And well, they don't tease she that she's gay. She, they say she's gay, but they tease that no, uh, no, Vicky no, McClure they, they, might they, be. They don't tease that she's gay. They tease that she's attracted to Vicky McClure mm. and that she wants to develop a relationship and just says, oh, I'm straight. Mm. And, uh, that's it. Okay. I don't know. Maybe a better writer might have made something out of that. Mm. You know, there's like... It's just constantly changing. Like it doesn't come across as like clever. It comes across as like desperately shallow, mm. desperately pale. Like there's a thing in the show where the only character work gets done in the pub, right? It's mm. people turning up at the pub and going, "The usual, the usual." Mm. I'd like a pint of beer, please. Nothing like. What a... do you like? What would you like? Surprise me. Wine? No. <laughs> I'd better not. Oh, well, a small one. And that's it. That's it for the character work. The other thing they say is, like, they state that there's a great curry house up the road at least 50 times <laughs> across this whole show. I don't think I they ever show any food, let alone anyone eating. <laughs> you know? There's, a there's a, like, a homeliness to that. Like, it's a, a, a fucking vulnerability. It's a social activity. Nope, not in my show. Hmm. Absolutely not. I'm pretty certain... Um, Keely Hawes does a microwave meal at some point in the second season. There's like, I think, yeah, there's like an open pizza on a table, <laughs> like half eaten. Okay, fine. But there's something that, that really exemplifies how cold and how alienated and how mechanical this show is by the fact that there's no so little organic material on display. Hmm. There's humans attractive humans, hard-edged humans in their hard-edged offices. There's no... There's no sponginess. There's mm. no... There's nothing like that, you know? Mm. And I guess, yeah, it comes into the kind of, like, plays into the idea that this is supposed to be, like, gritty reality. But, like, yeah, as we've mentioned before, it doesn't really doesn't really bear any relation to, to reality because, like, it actively, like, avoids logic quite a lot of the time. Mm. You know, because he wanted said, both. He wants both. Yeah. He wants both. He wants to be seen as the guy who's written the British version of The Wire, but he also wants to have gunfights. Yeah, like there's Although a whole, The Wire had gunfights, but you know. There's a whole plot thread, right? The overarching um thing of the season is this large conspiracy of coppers. Hmm. Half of the show is dedicated to finding out who this character H is. Hmm. Um could it be Hastings? 
could it be Hilton? There are a lot of cops in this show with a name beginning with H. Turns out it doesn't begin with H because that is a stupid thing to think. <laughs> that is a fucking stupid thing to say. To, 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 to say. They, they're they constantly teasing the idea that Hastings is uh, H, right? Mm. This mastermind of crime who is engineering multiple armed gangs roving the city, <laughs> able to strike at someone with literally 10 minutes notice. Mm. That's what happens when Arnett gets attacked. That's... It's, they call them the balaclava men, and they come out literally while he's in the lift. They get they phone up a heavy, and he beats up Arna. Right, so that means this person, whoever's organising this shit, literally has people roaming around the city, armed men roaming around the city, able to act at ten minutes' notice. Right? Yeah. Controlling presumably millions of pounds as it goes through the city in drugs and guns. Not that you'd ever see it. There's yeah. one moment where they hijack a police warehouse, which. Come to think of it, if you were a corrupt cop, um, doesn't it kind of make more sense to maybe slowly f- lose a bunch of stuff in a warehouse rather than have an armed raid on it? But let's not think about that. This person, this H, controls millions of pounds. While Hastings is being interrogated on this, he is living in a hotel because he has had to sell his house because he's divorced from his wife. And he is un- not only that, he is unable to pay this Premier Inn hotel bill, right? <laughs> If he is this, he's not fucking benefiting from it, is he? Mm. And I'm not being funny, but like that's that's a like a, a beside point. He could be hiding or something. But this is what they're actually showing. They're showing Hastings on his own, reading divorce papers in a shitty hotel room. We are not seeing him like in public having to maintain a facade mm. to maintain this conspiracy. You know, he, yeah, he's like he's, on his own. He, he's invested in a property deal that's fallen through and doesn't earn enough as a high-ranking police officer hmm. to live in his own flat to rent out a flat even for a well, little thing bit is, he's a fucking joe Pi- joe biden of police <laughs> well the thing is him like being on his own in a hotel room looking at uh looking at his divorce papers and being all sad hmm. he's not doing that to be undercover because no one else is seeing him yeah that's what i mean yeah like there's they don't even consider the interiority of characters of of what they would actually do in that thing there's no um there's no like naturalism in the in the dialogue either. There's nothing to make. Oh no, because they're too busy. They're, they're, they're too they're busy humans. reading. They're too busy reading all the technical jargon and not actually ever having an interpersonal moment. The one thing I did like, like in the last season, um, I counted it. I fell asleep four times and my wife fell asleep twice, um, which is you know what you expect from the largest rated show that BBC have ever made. Um, mm. But they he'd found a new word, um, chiss. Um, for the covert human intelligence source. Um, That was the thing that initially made me want to start doing it because the spy cop stuff was happening and then a bunch of journalists were like, oh God, who's had to look up what this means now? And it's like, have you not been paying attention to the actual news, you fucking... Yeah. But the way they... It's literally called the Chiss Bill as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, the way they pronounce it is they pronounce it Jizz. Um, so I, it was one of the only things that I found entertaining was, you know, there's the jizz handler, they've got to extract the jizz, but he really likes his jizz. So you've got to be careful with his jizz, but they're going to extract the jizz against his, against what his wishes. But, you know, and quick, get to the jizz handler again. That was the only thing I liked. My, ju- my jizz is confidential, my soul, my new soul album. Yeah. And then, then he dies. Um, covers just me in a, um, covers just me in a suit, relaxing against the piano. <laughs> and then when the when the jizz dies, it's like, oh no, I really like that jizz. Um, but yeah, fucking was... um, the reactions when someone dies, like literally, here is here is an actual like scene 
from Line of Duty. A long-standing character has had her throat cut and is dumped by a river or a lake or something, right? They look her up and they're like, oh, was she trying to be corrupt? Was she trying to be bent? And then they go back and they find out, actually, she'd disappointed Hastings. So she was then going undercover on her own Mm -hmm. to try and make up for it, to try and get information. When they hear this news, that their long-standing colleague, mother of two, by the way, <laughs> and they've met all of her kids. She's, I think there's a scene where they, she brings a baby into the office. Um, uh, Fleming goes, oh, I feel really awful now. <laughs> Literally in that tone of voice. And it is never mentioned again. Because the other never. one... The other one that really stuck with me is, yeah, the last season when... Um, when they when the van gets tipped over because there's all the armed armed murderers, and Jonesy dies, Jonesy, and they go Jonesy, Jonesy. not I had Jonesy. No idea who that was? I don't think they did. <laughs> I think they pulled it out of their ass. Um, because there's a lot of that. <laughs> oh, one hundred percent. Like, actually, I do want to talk about like the ending, right? <laughs> so, um, the ending is. Um, so the ending is that it is the they have consistently moved the goalposts on what this conspiracy is supposed to be. And other than fighting the thing right in front of them, all they spend their time doing is asking questions about this larger conspiracy that, again, has not really had the weight of evidence done to prove it exists. Mm. But whatever, they believe it exists. No, the man... No, no, look. The man's dying words. His truth ghost said it. <laughs> um... And they find out that there are four heads of this corrupt thing, which um, usually comes about from they're interviewing the main season villain, the main season antagonist. Uh, they'll they'll get a confession, and then they'll turn to like someone who's in the room with them and go, "And you're under arrest too." And they turn out to be like the big bad person, and they might, to be honest, in one of the only entertain really entertaining bits where they uh, ask for an urgent exit. Look, I'm a human being. Um, I have visceral needs like anyone else. And frankly, that shootout was kind of fun. <laughs> um, where they text urgent exit and then a gunman comes and like uh, blows them out of the police station. <laughs> but um, So the reveal is that um, the final person, the final person in this corrupt ring, is this incredibly ordinary, bumbling... Um, Brummy character mm-hmm. who's been in it since the beginning has kind of been a like a joke, like a bit of a deer in the headlights, like incompetent uh, detective who uh, makes like shitty shitty jokes and is is generally like yeah somewhat comic relief. Mm-hmm. But and Jed Mercurio's explanation of this was uh, he actually said. I think that we've been directing the audience towards a particular image of the kind of character that he would be, that H would be a criminal mastermind. Also, we wanted to maybe make a different commentary on the the way in which someone can do a lot of harm without necessarily being a mastermind. And, like, he makes this reveal, like, of H as, like, the simpleton doofus. Um, He reins it back in. He's just made, like, six series of, like, gunfights and ambushes and high-octane throat-slitting, and then try to rein it back in by saying, you see, actually, mm-hmm. it was about a serious topic. Yeah, he 100% does that. And it's... and it's like, you fucking hack, you don't get to set, you set the parameters, 
of like what the show is by what's on the screen mm. not what your fucking intention is and that happens with like a lot of the characters as well like mm. a lot of the the um like seasonal seasonal antagonists that they bring in a lot of them seem to think that they're not corrupt because of what they say rather than what they do mm. like Stephen graham is like shooting people up i don't care like they try and row it back but in the first episode of his season Stephen graham shoots up a police convoy he you literally see him shooting cops dead and then they say oh yeah but they were all corrupt i don't actually kill cops because i'm a good guy <laughs> and it's like no i've seen what you do <laughs> what you say you are is not what you've done i yeah. don't understand what model of human nature we're work- like he's working with here you know <laughs> yeah. and aside from anything the guy who is revealed as h by necessity has to be a mastermind i've yeah. already said he's managing millions of pounds going in and out of like various illicit activities he's managing multiple armed gangs of men who are able to ambush police mm-hmm. he is if not responsible for all of that, he's arranging it all. So he's by definition a mastermind. Also, right? If he's not a mastermind, um, it just shows your entire all your main characters are chumps. You don't have Brock lose to a chump at WrestleMania because it devalues the whole thing. So you can't really have that he was an idiot and sort of bumbled his way around the whole thing because it just makes all your main characters look like fools. It was another thing that the um the Silent Witness woman. Um, or Prime Suspect, it's going to really annoy me now which show that she was the consultant on the thing that she said is when you've got someone in police custody that's when you literally go for all of their financials that's when, you're literally, that's when you're most on them that's when they would have found out everything about him whereas yeah. in the show he's like got secret computers where he's like controlling all of his vast conspiracy, conspiracy mm. and all this stuff and they just don't notice because they never do any policing, but you're supposed it's, to be a lot go along with these because um, they're the real bumbling idiots who fumble their way into solving everything because they're just told it. Yeah, that, uh, the most common way of catching a criminal in this is oddly Stalinist in that it comes. It's a confessional. Yeah, you say the right combination of words and then they just confess it. Mm. There's no other pressure applied to them. There's a various, a couple of bits of evidence that, mm. again, because the standards of evidence in this show vary so wildly, can vary from, I found you used a, a, a temporary, like a burner mobile phone, mm. to I found your actual fingerprints <laughs> on the man's neck or something. Yeah. Um, you make a good point with the uh, with the computers. Like, if you're trying to say that it is institutional institutional requires some kind of outlook that is endemic among um coppers right Mm. in order for it to be to be portrayed as institutional it has to be a uh boys will be boys or um you know everyone can make a mistake once that kind of attitude towards certain kinds of crime and not others right Mm. crimes towards black people are not investigated as thoroughly because they are considered to matter less that is a, a uh, an institutional characteristic. He's a mastermind because he worked out how to do um, like IP and how to move money around. Yeah, that's the definition of not being inst- institutionally yeah. corrupt. He's bad just apples. a criminal. <laughs> he, it's he's literally a bad apple. He has separated himself off by never communicating with people mm-hmm. and never revealing himself to the police. That's not institutional. Mm. That's just criminal mastermind. Hmm. Yeah, it's the exact opposite of what he says he intends to do, Jeff Curio, with this. Yeah, well, it's because he's a hack. It's 
It's so fucking. There's hacky. a thing because like he's trying to defend himself and like he had like there was an article in I think Radio Times straight after when you have to do an article explaining your ending. That's always a very good sign. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, that was what I, that was what I quoted from a moment ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the thing is, you got one of the reasons why the ending is the way it is is away from his hackery is fundamentally the how a TV show is constructed in this country, especially one like this, is it has its commission for a series and they write it with an end but maybe a hook, and then after that's finished, they write season two. But they're only thinking of that one season that they're writing. I think maybe when it moved to BBC One, it had like a longer contract, which I mm. think is part of the reason why it's ended now at season six, because probably the actors, it was time to renegotiate contracts and now the ratings have gone up quite a bit. They all want more money. And so it's much easier yeah. to just cut and move along with, with Jed Mercurio's Stephen Lawrence thing, which I'm sure will be astounding. Um, but because there's no overarching... Um, story that links that goes from season one to season six that's why it's unsatisfying it isn't a well plotted out here is the actual villain who was there all along it's retconned in it's decided it was decided when he started writing season six who the villain would be and that's not good that's not how you should write a long running story and it's fundamentally unsatisfying yeah I, he 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 does that with a lot of things. Like I had a I had a real fun time with the. Um, uh, so in in season four, right? Mm. Fandy Newton gets her uh, has her her hand amputated, the hand on the top of her arm, right? Yeah. Um, and it it made me think of this thing of like you know how Chekhov's Chekhov's gun, mm. right? If a dramatist introduces a gun in Act One, it has to be fired by Act Three, right? It's not no extraneous. When they, when stuff. they get out the table in a wrestling match, someone's going through that table. Yeah, and usually the person who set it up. Right? Yeah. Um, Line of Duty has the exact opposite approach, right? If something is introduced, it absolutely must not be addressed at all, <laughs> right? I call it Chekhov's limb. Fanny <laughs> Newton has her hand amputated, and the first time her kids see her. They say, we don't trust you, mum. You had our dad arrested. Not, mum, where's your hand? <laughs> and you can expand it into almost any element of this show. You've got Chekhov's family, uh, <laughs> Chekhov's, Chekhov's baby, Chekhov's bad back, Chekhov's painkiller addiction, Chekhov's father-uncle. <laughs> you introduce something completely outrageous and then never mention it again. He just has a real kind of aversion to making the kind of drama that he had been making for six seasons. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, like, I, I did want to move on to um, why it's so popular. Now, now, I know there's some kind of, like, you've raised with me many, many times that uh, whether it actually is popular. And I know it's a rabbit hole to go down to say how TV shows' popularity is constructed. You know, what's the difference between internet success, real success, rating success? But, like, why why do people use things like impeccable acting and great plotting to describe it? When, I'm sorry, it objectively isn't. I don't know that much about, like, writing or anything like that, like, like screenplay. It's bad. It's really, really bad. Yeah, no, like, objectively, it is too plotty, and for something so plotty, there are too many holes. 
and there is literally no character with like the only way you can get away with like that many plot holes normally is if you really like the characters yeah and yeah he decided to like he just have plot holes and no characters yeah. um it doesn't look good like it looks old fashioned it looks very yeah. like bbc have got like a thing there's like they literally have a thing with there's a specific color gradient they like to use on nearly everything yeah. and it's vile I hate it. It looks everything yeah. looks so boring. Because usually on a film, um, like a director will get to choose a color grading, um, and it's not usually decided until quite late in the process. But uh, you definitely notice it with every BBC show from like two since like two thousand eight. I guess is the first time I ever really mm. noticed it. Spoiler alert: um, they can ask to have a different one. They just never do. Oh, one hundred percent. They have all the equipment. It's uh, literally a matter of equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it. It all looks very washed out. They like night. They like night scenes because they get contrasting light and shadow a bit. Which but is weird because they they're the most expensive. Poorly ones. lit offices. Yeah, poorly lit offices and a general drudgery. It adds. It's the British version of grittiness. Um, ends up being a kind of office work drudgery. Yeah, that's the that's the worst thing they can imagine anyone doing which is sitting in an office at night eating a takeaway, eating a curry, Mm. on your own in front of a monitor. And it's like, (laughs) I don't particularly... I don't understand why... Like, I don't understand why they continue to do it. Yeah, I I genuinely don't get where people are coming from with, like, impeccable acting, except for maybe they don't watch enough TV or film. Um, Sure, that that is always an option. But, like, even compared to popular things of the past hmm. like i watched um i watched a lot of police dramas when i was a kid hmm. um because my parents really liked them because of course they did mm-hmm. um parents love that shit and i watched like I-, I tried to remind myself of like other other shows so like i watched a bit of tagger watched a bit of hmm. frost watched a bit of like they're different kinds of cop shows but uh, they're you know they're personality based and they're based around one person and you know they arrest a pedophile and then that's it but there's so much more warmth and more like humanity in mm. those in those shows. Like as as much as they're still propaganda. I know exactly why they're being so warm and so personable, mm. which is to cover the institutional brutality of, of their actual role. But this has none of that. Like even the stuff like the warmest character is probably Hastings, mm. the daddy cop. And like it's basically because he that somebody discovered him saying phrases that anyone with an irish grandparent will have heard many times before this and decided that that was like memeable and that yeah. was like that was that was moments and it got absurd to the point of like what uh, as i mentioned he gets uh, in this massive interview where he's told all these kind of things about stuff that he stuff that happened in northern ireland and its relation to stuff that happened today he let a witness get killed in northern ireland and stephen graham is the is the son of that witness and he like puts his head in his hands. He, you can see he's fighting back tears. He's starting to, and he goes, "You mean that guy? He was Anne Marie's wee fella." <laughs> oh. It's like just trying to like shoehorning it out. Like Irish and Northern Irish people do not talk like that. They do not like. It's not going to insert like a comfy slang word in where they're like breaking down (laughs) it makes no sense i mean i will say like (laughs) the show i'm is easily digestible given the fact that you know like i 
went through it in two weeks, six mm. seasons in two weeks. I've never done that with any show. Yeah. Um, it makes no sense moment to moment, I guess, and you won't remember it. I only remembered it because I knew we were doing this pod, but like, you've got people like imagining what drink uh, Steve Arnott would have. Mm. As you say, filling to. in, filling in to, the gap. Because won't tell you. Because the worst thing is, in a in a show where pretty much only the character moment is him consuming alcohol, mm. you couldn't tell what kind of pint, what kind of drink he would have. Mm. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. just alcohol. It's just it's just there's there's brown alcohol and then there's white alcohol and then there's yellowish alcohol that comes in a particular cup. Mm. But you don't tell that he's enjoying any of it. You don't tell that anybody's enjoying any of this. Mm. There's um, it's it is interesting like how much more popular this is like. It did like ratings wise. It did all right on BBC Two, and that's why it got moved over to BBC One. But yeah. the big difference when you see like the final episode did do really well. Like its overnight ratings were very high, but the advertising was through the fucking roof, and they one hundred percent were lobbying reviewers and everyone to talk about it. Um, but for the most part, their ratings took a massive took got a massive bump when they started counting it. Instead of counting the overnight and the last week on um, on iPlayer, they started counting the the entire month. So of course your ratings have gone up when it's like the overnight plus the next twenty eight days of people watching it on on iPlayer. Um, but it is funny, like the the stark difference in quality between that and a few years ago, Giri Hadji, which BBC did not push. At all. Mm-hmm. Like, at all. Like, the ratings for that must have been quite tiny. And there's been quite a few things that they just don't push and they don't... This is this is a constructed success. It is 100% right. a constructed success. They lobbied, they... Ad- like, I don't, I don't doubt that it did surprisingly well and then season two did even better than they thought. And after that, they decided to just hammer home and just spend all their money on the advertising budget for this one show to prove that the BBC is relevant. It'd be interesting to see in like in a few like in a couple of months what the um the average age of the person of a person who watches it is. Mm-hmm. Because like I'm trying to remember there was a show called Normal People which mm-hmm. is was advertised as quite youthy and young and like I think they they said it was aimed at um young at a younger audience. Not by not by younger. I don't mean children. I mean like our age and like to, like twenty to like in mid thirties. But it turns out really the only people who watch the most the the vast majority of the people who watch normal people were men over forty five. Mm. So because this... like you would think, yeah, because it you see sometimes they push things very heavily and it just doesn't get taken up. So I guess that there there must be some kind of like vague audience metric that they're going by but otherwise it's just like throwing darts at a dartboard and you know hoping that something something gets on it i think like this has hits i don't know what it is about the nerve that it's hit Mm. you know lockdown boredom end of a long-running series plenty of action light light enough frankly to be that's one of the big things to be binged sure yeah yeah um but like all of the problems with it and the fact and they like tie in with all the fundamental problems with a lot of the stuff that the BBC makes and definitely the stuff that they push because the stuff that does the stuff that I think is actually good that the BBC ends up making tends to be made sort of by accident and they don't realize what a success they have for example Mm -hmm. um 
Killing Eve. Yes. They didn't think that Killing Eve was good. That's why it got released in America first. Um, they actually, there was a thing I read that they were taking loads of jokes out of the script because they thought that the jokes... Um, out, they were taking loads of jokes out of the edit because they thought that it ruined it. Um, they really didn't realise what, what a good show they actually had. And it was the same with Giri Hadji. They didn't realise what a good show they had. And one that just came out last weekend um, is like a comedy called Starstruck that was very easy to watch, very bingeable, and they should have been pushing it, but it's like... But it, they didn't, so yeah. Yeah, um, because they're, they've got this idea that they want to appeal to young people because they need to, because they're dying. Um, because, like, I know people... You know, we know people who do not pay a television licence because why would they watch? They why would they watch BBC ever? Why would they? Why would they pay it on top of Netflix, which probably has a better hit ratio? Exactly. Um, right. Yeah. And if it doesn't, fuck it. They've got another one on next week. But also, if it's not even a, if it's if it's not a particularly good show, it's still aimed at you. Yeah. Whereas you've got enough other things. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas the BBC, they like, and like British TV in general, they make stuff that they think is aimed at younger people. Like, I think this was originally aimed at younger people. Um, and they've got absolutely no intellectual curiosity to find out what would a younger person like to watch in a TV show. So they sort of just um, brute force it and just really hammer it home. In much the same way as the Labour Party. In that they have absolutely no understanding of uh, of of what young people want. But they feel like they deserve it without actually putting in the effort. <laughs> does that make sense? Yeah, it does. But it's a steaming pile of dog shit with absolutely no emotional warmth because I think Jed Mercury is probably a horrible, horrible person. And a hack. And you think, like, in, like in comparison to Giri Hadji, which wasn't that long ago, or things like Happy Valley, which was... And they're both cop we shows. We talked about that before, didn't we? Yeah. yeah, Happy Valley is really good and very. It's like it's like all character. You're all following this. It's because Sally Wainwright's a better writer than him. <laughs> but to kind of reroute it back round to the kind of political, like status, the political positioning of this show. Mm. Obviously, it's really difficult, but I think it, because it's got so many empty spaces where things should be, mm. you know. No undercover cops when you're talking about Stephen Lawrence. Mm. No kind of long drawn out inquiry or discussions of police ethics, like legal police ethics. Yeah. When it comes to Jean Charles de Menezes, there's no. It almost seems to intentionally avoid the issue when it pertains to the realistic thing that they're doing a fake version of. They avoid the main issue in order to do all of the other things and make it the responsibility of someone else. And I think that's probably feeds into why I think the, the, the show is so kind of politically empty, right? Like, it's empty because it's badly written and it's, you know, almost algorithmically tailored to make you tune in every week, right? But I think the problem is that at the start, I think they may have had the idea to do a quote-unquote progressive cop show. But in order to do that, you have to do something, have something that suggests the cops are doing something wrong. And this constantly tries to avoid obvious wrongdoing by focusing on the people who are supposed to regulate this stuff. And except it, it just... It doesn't really focus on the institutional problems that police cause. Hmm. The problems uh, that institutional poli- policing has. Um, 
the corrupt seasonal guest stars get way more time and character development than their protagonists. Each one has like an extra reason for why they did what they did. And whatever, I don't understand what pressures came under this show, whether it was just incompetence, bad writing, hackery, or, you know, producers interfering to say, oh, we haven't got time to do spy cops, street beatings, murders in custody. They then had to transfer this kind of, um, like the bad guy status onto more acceptable targets because like there are there are t- basically two acceptable targets in this two things that get shown that are abhorrent and not excused and that's street level violence and high level paedophilia and sex trafficking yeah and in their own like class class framed ways these have been the focus of politics for decades you know violent trade unionists in the streets trying to cause a civil war high-level elite paedophiles, you know, the no, the old nobility, the old established order, mm. they're the ones keeping you down. It's That's Thatcherite logic. It's below you and above you. Those are the problems. Um, and the reason I talked about, like, New Labour and, and Cameron in the beginning was that, yeah, through the show, I got the feeling that they were missing vast swathes of something. Mm. And it kind of, like the New Labour and kind of, to a lesser extent, the Cameron, Cam- the Cameron project... Mm. It kind of intentionally breaks up the lines of continuity between anything recognisable. It, it disrupts the history of Stephen Lawrence. It disrupts the history of Jean-Charles de Menezes. It does it with the fake with the fake Midlands town. You know, it 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 does it with the blending of like fake Cyril Smith with real Jimmy Savile. You know, it tries to break up the actual progress of these of the way these events spilled out in real life in order to avoid actually having to deal with the consequences and the fallout of those things. And it just reminded me, as you said, it had the echoes of modern centrist bearers of the new Labour flame. Mm. You know, it's very, it's frankly, it's very current era Labour to make up a town with no distinguishing features to justify your political decisions. Yeah, I would say you know? that um, it's not at all surprising that Jed Mercurio is a fubby anti-Boris liberal. Yeah, of course he is. And I mean... <sighs> New Labour and the police, like, their solution was to make the kind of stereotypical grand bargain, like they made with the NHS, like they made with the media, with the UK populace. Yeah. It's like, more money, enough money, plenty of money, yeah. but change would come, quote, with the culture. Hmm. They did it with the police, you know? The police was became a calm, caring, technocratic organisation that was only improving with every passing generation. Problem is, by the time Line of Duty debuts in 2012, it's already two years into the coalition, and it's a year out from the 2011 riots. Mm. You have, you know, Cameron promising to show CCTV footage of rioters and just let what happens, happens. Mm. You had massively extended um, prison sentences for things like stealing a bag of rice during the riots. And what's more, the on camera, you actually saw that the police had completely lost control. So even the powers they had been given were insufficient to, you know, restore order or whatever they were they were doing. What's more, the advance of technology also allowed mobiles to record everything that cops did. You know, mm. we've since then we've had cops being thrown out for being Nazis. We've had cops, you know, killing people and getting away with it. The whole new Labour project with the police had been undone. Mm. Like the rest of their grand bargains, it was never appreciated that it wasn't just that their policies were reversed. 
New Labour and their kind of current defenders had no appreciation for the fact that the culture of an organisation stems from its function. If you want coppers to repress problems that stem from poverty, they will repress the most constituent kind of representatives of that poverty, young black men. If you want them to be the solution to mental health problems, they will treat mental health as a legal category and try to arrest it. Hmm. You know? And once this grand centrist bargain had failed, what was left? Once the police reforms could be reversed and the cultural transformations were shown to be ineffective, what are they left with? You're left with Cameroonian ideas like big society, community champions, volunteerism, moral choices made by nice people with consciences, with backup from advertising that champions you as a moral individual who made a choice. And what's the very last lines about policing made by Ted Hastings in the show about the fake Stephen Lawrence? It's that the coppers were bad people who had become immoral. And that's why Line of Duty, besides its writing, feels so empty. It's a show that's in search of a political answer that's been expressly ruled out by 25 years of complete exhaustion with political solutions. It's why the ending is so unsatisfying. Even after being told right there that there is wrong and there is right and that the last line of defence against a rampant police force is the conscience of each individual officer, who's the big bad? It's someone who's so bland and so banal that conscience never played a role in him making the decision. Mm. It was just, I was around people who were doing it, therefore I'm going to do it. Mm. You know? It wasn't a choice, it wasn't a thing. And in the end, like in Line of Duty, there's, there is no, despite being a show supposedly about good and evil and policing the line between that, there's no good, there's no evil. There's just this, like, hanging excuse that wrongdoing is banal and everyday and any of us could do it, any of us do do it, and the only thing you can do individually is hold up standards. Uphold the standards of your institution and keep them from being dragged further towards the pit. But whatever you do, don't blame the people who made those decisions. And it's as true for New Labour as it was for Jed Mercurio. Hmm. You know, you can't blame them for the decisions they've made because the problem is institutional. And they are the institution. Yeah. Um, one thing I'd like to say is there are actually good programmes that you should be watching instead of Line of Duty because... Who's TV Minute? Yeah, so... Hot reviews. I mentioned Giri Hadji, which is a lush, characterful cop show, and it's very much of its place. It's all set in London and bits in Japan, and it is lovely. It's like all great characters, and you will love it. It choked me up, that series. I've watched it twice, and it choked me up twice both times. Star Trek, I mentioned before, just came out. That's a lovely rom-com that was just on. Or you could watch... Um, what else did I watch? That was it. Um, the the Flight Attendant, which I think is probably on Sky. Um, and that one has the amazing thing of, she's not a cop and she's like going through incredible mental trauma and does more investigating than they do in all six series of, um, of Line of Duty. That's what, that's what I love. I love detective shows that aren't about police. Yeah, um, and yep. and that was that's that's just that's a, a really really good show. And oh yeah, but you know if you know you loved Line of Duty and you want more of Line of Duty, it's okay because you rubes will get nothing but Line of Duty coming out of the BBC forever. It might not be called Line of Duty, but Bodyguard was essentially Line of Duty supplementary series. Yeah. The Stephen yeah. Lawrence thing that's gonna become that's gonna come out is gonna feel like fucking Line of Duty. And Jed Mercurio is never not going to be able to work again. In the same way that Vicky McClure will always be considered a good actress because of This Is England, no matter how much she phones it in, Jed Mercurio now, is you are stuck with him. And he is going to fucking print off Wikipedia articles 
and write so-and-so says before each one and sell those scripts for absurd amounts of money forever. In conclusion, B minus. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, that's us for this week. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, follow us at WDTATW underscore podcast, follow me at BM Bergamo, follow Hugh at Tanner Smashing, and we'll see you soon. Bye! I love my country, indeed I do. Indeed I love my country.